As we continue to take a look, if you remember, we left last time, we left Jesus in the grave. He was placed in the tomb. The Bible tells us that the tomb was near the place of the cross, that there was a garden there, that that garden was owned by a rich man. And we know who took Jesus down from the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus who had met Jesus in in John chapter 3, Both of them were wealthy men. Probably one of them owned that garden. And last time you remember, we had an opportunity to take a look at the pictures from that very garden just down from, uh, guess, or I'm sorry, just down from Golgotha in this garden tomb where Jesus was laid. And you'll remember we talked a little bit that it kind of reminds us, it kind of gives us that picture. Remember, they took Jesus' body, it was a day of preparation. The day before the high day of the feast. So that would have made it a a Sabbath. Not necessarily a Saturday Sabbath. But a Sabbath that would occur as that high day. the, The best day of the feast. That moment of Passover. And so Jesus is laid in the tomb. How did they lay him in the tomb? They wrapped him in linen. And that linen on one day a year. On one day a year the high priest. He would take off all his fancy robes. He would set aside all that fancy stuff that he got to wear as high priest. And on that day, he would wear nothing but a linen robe. That linen robe, that that linen ephod, would be a one piece, no seam. Just like the one that that they cast lots for at the cross of Jesus Christ. They would dress in that linen and he would go and offer a sacrifice for himself and then for the entire nation. And the whole nation outside would gather outside the temple and they'd all hold their collective breath as the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And if on this day, Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, if that sacrifice was acceptable, the high priest would go in, offer the sacrifice there in the presence of Almighty God, the Shekinah glory of God there, between the cherubim, between two angels, they would offer that blood on this, on this table, on this seat known as the mercy seat. And if the offering was accepted, the high priest would come back out. The high priest would exit again. And when he exited, he would say one phrase, forgiven. And then the nation would go, whoop, one more year. We've been forgiven one more year. Now we see Jesus wrapped in linen, soaked in this, in this spices and aloes that they brought for his body. The Bible tells us about 100 pounds. They would soak strips of linen in this aloe. It would make a gel. And they would wrap his body from ankles to armpit in this, in this, uh, this gel-covered cloth. And as they smeared that gel around him, as they placed the body in the tomb, it would, it would form a cocoon, a shell. And he would, the body would then go in there, it would be covered with those spices. The concept was to cover up the smell, because as the body decomposes, it's going to start to stink. And then later, in, later on, they would go back in the tomb, gather up the bones, and put the bones in an ossuary or a bone box, and they would be set aside for the day of uh, of redemption the day when they would once again as ezekiel 38 spoke of the lord would breathe life into the bones again and there would be that that revival that resurrection so that's what they were thinking 
But Jesus had told them, hadn't he? Over and over again, we read it in the Gospel of John. You destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll what? I'll raise it up again. He would rise from the dead. And so, for us, so many times as believers, folks, we're living in John 19. And we forget about John 20. We're living at the cross, which is a good place. That we found forgiveness for our sins there, didn't we? But folks, Jesus rose. He's alive. We don't serve a a Savior that's just dead. We serve a Savior that's risen, no longer in the grave. Death could not keep him down. And he rose again. And so that's where we come to it. In John chapter 20, we come to that place. And it says, now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. Now, the other gospel accounts tell us that there are other women that went and they went in groups and we're not going to get too much into all that. We're just going to focus on what John's laying out for us. But here, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb early. In 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 the language, it seems to indicate she went in the fourth watch of the night. Now, we know that she's going after the Sabbath, so we're putting the time somewhere around 6 in the morning. The fourth watch went from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. It would have been unlawful for her to be out prior to 6 because it would still be the Sabbath. So probably 6 in the morning, she's going out. But remember, what does love do? Love rises early and stays late. Always works out that way. And Mary Magdalene, didn't she love the Lord? You remember there's a story in the scriptures that talks about a time when Jesus was visiting a Pharisee and the Pharisee was, was looking at him, you know, trying to decide what he thought of this Jesus character. And so there he is, he's sitting there and all of a sudden what we see taking place is this woman comes in and she begins to weep and with her tears, she, she washes Jesus' feet and with her hair, she dries them. And you remember the Pharisee thought in his mind, Uh, He can't be the Messiah. If he was really the Messiah, he would know what kind of woman this is that touches him. You remember the story that Jesus told? He said to that Pharisee, he said, listen, there were two guys that owed a great sum of money. One owed like a million dollars and the other guy owed 10 bucks. They're both forgiven. Which one loves more? And the Pharisee said, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. Jesus said, well, that's how it is, brother. I come into your house. You didn't even offer to wash my feet. But this woman whose sins are forgiven her has not ceased to wash my feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Those who are forgiven much love much. Remember Mary Magdalene had been possessed by seven demons. Jesus had cast those demons out. There's church tradition that says perhaps she was the woman there crying with her tears washing his feet with her hair there's another church tradition that says she may have been the one that was drugged before jesus remember the woman caught in the act of adultery church tradition we don't know that that's the case or not but what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is she had been forgiven much and she loved much And the key for us to find that kind of a passion in our lives for Jesus Christ is to recognize and realize our need for forgiveness. Our need that that we, like Mary of Magdalene, like we, like anyone else coming before Jesus Christ, are needful. We need His forgiveness. 
The Bible tells us we don't compare ourselves to one another. You can't. Neither one of us can touch the sun. So we're a long ways off. Who do we compare ourselves to? The Bible tells us Jesus is the rule. He's the rod by which we are measured. So we measure ourselves to Jesus. Well, all bets are off, aren't they? And we recognize our sinful state, not so that we look at ourselves and go, oh, you know, I just hate who I am. No, it's so that we would realize how much God loves you. And when we come to that place, we, like Mary, we're going to love much. And when we do, like love, we'll rise early and stay late. Mary of Magdalene, one of the last ones at the cross. Mary of Magdalene, one of the first ones at the tomb. John goes on and tells us, now as Mary is drawing near that place, as she grows near, and while it was still dark, sun's not up yet, they saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now keep in mind, it's dark. Sun's not up. But you can see there's a big stone in front of that tomb, and that stone's gone. And as she comes to the tomb, she's wondering what's going on. And she runs and she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now the Bible tells us, we'll see as we finish up the book of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved is John. John always looked, uh, always spoke of himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Not, not a boast, folks. It's not a boast. It's a, it's a proclamation. It's one that each of us can come to, too. I'm the one Jesus loves. Can you believe he loves me? That's the way John's talking about it. Man, I can't believe it. I can't believe that the, the Savior of the universe loves me. So the one whom Jesus, so Mary Magdalene, sees a tomb. The stones rolled away. She runs back to Peter and John. And she comes to Peter and John and she says, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And by the way, the other disciple outran Peter. This is how you could tell they were men. (laughs) Right? Yeah, you know, we're doing this this cool thing, we're going to go see where Jesus is. But I just want you to know, me and Peter were running, and I won. We don't need to get too into it. I just want you to know, so for all, for all history, John puts down in the gospel, just in case you're keeping score, John won, Peter zero. So, <laughs> the other disciple outran Peter, and they come to the tomb first. And he... Stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. This is one of those times when, as we look at the Scripture, it's so cool to see the word pictures that are being painted in the Greek. Three times we see the word saw in English, which we would say, well, he looked and saw something. But in the Greek, it it says a little bit more. In the beginning, John gets there and he stops. Well, he was probably a little bit lighter fella, not quite as big as Peter, so his brakes work better. 
John stops and he looks in. And that first word he saw indicates that just what we, what we would picture in English. He looked and he saw these, these clothes. And he's wondering, what's going on with that? And then here comes Peter. Now, Peter's a bigger guy. His brakes don't work so good. And he's not interested once he gets all that going and stopping. So he goes straight into the tomb. Blows right by John. And you know when Peter got into the tomb, he turned around and said to John, hey, the, the finish line was the tomb, brother, not outside the tomb. <laughs> so when we get to heaven, we'll see which one was... Which, the boasting could still be going on. No, I won. No, it was me. He stopped early. Anyway, the second time Peter looks and he says that he saw, the Greek word is theoreo. It means he begins to formulate in his mind as he sees, what does this mean? See, first John sees and he's going, oh, look, there's just the, the cocoon. Remember I told you it would have formed a hard shell. That cocoon's laying there. There's no body in it. And the napkin that would have been over Jesus' face, it's not just thrown on the ground. It's just folded up neatly and set there on the stone. So he begins to theoreo, to theorize, to start to think, man, what does this mean? What is this all about? And then the Bible tells us the other disciple, or John, he comes, who came to the tomb first, he goes in and he saw. Now he uses the word ido. It means he perceived. He's like, oh, oh yeah, didn't Jesus say that he was going to rise again? And then that disciple, what's it say? He believed. He saw, began to theorize in his mind, what's this all about? And came to the point where he perceived, wow, he's risen. He's risen. Now they don't know if they're ever going to see Jesus again, right? I mean, they don't know. Jesus said he would rise again, but he didn't necessarily say that they were going to hang out for 40 days. So, so you know, he sees and, and he perceives and he believes. But then those guys are going back to that room and locking the door. Aren't they? I mean, there's still the Sanhedrin out there that killed Jesus is looking for them. And while... They, they walked with Jesus all that time. We know as we look at their lives, they weren't quite where Jesus was ready to turn them loose yet, were they? I mean, when, when Jesus needed them, they all fled. They weren't there. They didn't have the boldness yet to stand before the Sanhedrin, so they're going to go back to the room. Look what happens. It says in verse 9, For as yet they did not know the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Now, isn't that funny that they didn't know that? Because Jesus said it a bunch of times. But you know, you know what I've discovered in all the years of studying the Word and, and preparing messages is every time I go back to a book, maybe I taught that book before or, or I've read that Scripture before. Have you ever read a Scripture and then all of a sudden something else jumps out? Now, you read it before. It's not the first time you ever read it. But now, now the, the Spirit is moving in you and you're beginning to see. So before we're too harsh on the disciples, remember, it's not until Acts chapter 2 that they, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're able to see what they were unable to see before. You and I, we have that today and we experience that as we read God's Word. God's Spirit will lead us and guide us and direct us in truth. And sometimes he, he helps one part of the verse to pop. And another time, maybe a different part of that verse to pop. But all, nonetheless, God's Spirit is leading. And so they're not quite putting all the pieces together yet. 
But they recognized, man, something is happening. Something is going on. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now, do you ever think, you remember Mary Magdalene went and got them. And like the gentlemen that they were, they just took a leisurely stroll back to the tomb with Mary, right? No, they bolted. They left her. So Mary went and told them. And now by the time she's getting back to the tomb, they're bolting back to the house again. They all forgot about Mary. So now Mary's left in that place. Mary comes to that tomb. And she stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday night as we're going through the book of Exodus, that should paint a picture for you. For on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, on that place where the sacrifice, the blood of the sacrifice was to be put, There were two angels, one at the foot and one at the head, each one looking down at the place where the blood would be applied. And here we see that picture. There's an angel at the foot, an angel at the head, the place where the sacrifice had been laid, the place where Jesus' body was put. But you know the cool thing is? Mary is totally and completely unfazed by the angels. Totally. This is one of the times when someone sees an angel and the angel doesn't say, fear not. Why is that? Because Mary don't care about the angels. She don't care about the angels. Angels will not do when the one that you are looking for is Jesus Christ. She wanted Jesus, not angel. She wanted her Lord and Savior, not those beings that were there at the tomb. So... She sees these two angels, one at the head and the other at the feet. And and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Folks, I want you to understand something. As we look at Jesus Christ post-resurrection, you're going to hear this story often. That they saw Jesus, but they didn't know it was him. Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? Jesus walked with them. They saw him, but they didn't know it was him. John chapter 21, Jesus is on the shore calling out to the disciples that are fishing. They saw Jesus, but they weren't quite sure. They weren't quite sure. Why? Folks, Isaiah 53 tells us, in Isaiah 53 verse 2, that he had no form or comeliness that we would desire him. There was nothing special or spectacular about the way Jesus looked. And the Bible goes on to tell us in Isaiah 53.3 that when we saw him and what they did to him, we hid our faces from him. We looked away. I'm going to say, I'm not going to get too into the concept of, of disfigurement. We don't really know if Jesus is disfigured or not. We know in the book of Revelation that we see him as what? The lamb as though he had been slain. Looking just like he did at that that moment of of crucifixion and the gift that he had given. At that moment in uh, Revelation chapter 6 as we take a look at that. But listen guys, here's what I think the scripture is laying out for us. When is she going to recognize him? 
when she hears him say her name. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And my sheep, what? Hear my voice. And they know me. You remember what the scriptures tell us? Are we to walk by sight? We're to walk by faith. And how does faith come? By hearing the word of God. Well, John 1.1 tells us the word of God is Jesus Christ. He is God the word. And he declares who God is to us. And so here we have Jesus coming to, to Mary. She don't recognize him. She's, she's looking for a dead body, isn't she? She's not looking for, for a living Savior. She's looking for a body. And she sees Jesus walk to her. And Jesus is going to speak to her. Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Well, she's not thinking all that clear, is she? Jesus was probably at least an average man. Now wrapped up in 100 pounds of spices and linen. I don't know if Mary's going to carry him anywhere. But love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So she's willing to do whatever it takes. But look what happens. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and said, Rabboni. Rabboni means my rabbi, my master. It's personal. It's personal. It's not just the teacher or the master. It's my master, my teacher. And she recognized his voice when he said her name. When the shepherd calls his sheep, they hear his voice. And faith was ignited in her when she heard Jesus, not when she saw him. Remember the two guys on the road to Emmaus? They saw Jesus, talked with him all the way down the way. It's when he stood before them and broke the bread. And all of a sudden they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us about the scripture? Faith was ignited when they hear the word. When they hear the word. And so Mary is ignited right here. Oh, she's so excited. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to my father. What's he saying? She's holding. Hey, Mary and Magdalene's like, look, you got away once. Never again. I am holding on for all I'm worth. Who knows? You might try to leave right now. And Jesus is saying, Mary, I haven't gone to my father yet. In fact, he's going to be around for 40 days. For 40 days, Mary, Mary, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me because I haven't gone to the Father yet. I'm still going to be around for a while. But there's more than that. In this, in this phrase, don't cling to me. It's like, Mary, don't hold on to all these things you think about me. Don't hold on to how I was before. Don't hold on to, to the, the box that we place God into. Don't cling to that. Don't cling to that because God's not bound by that box. God's not bound by those ideals. Mary, don't cling. Don't cling to all that. Allow God to do that perfect work that he's going to do. He says, I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren 
and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now there's a lot of folks that may want to come by your house on, say, a Saturday afternoon and say, look, Jesus called God my Father and my God. But you see, in the Scripture, what Jesus is saying, He did not say while talking to Mary, I'm going to our Father, did He? I'm going to our God. No. He says there's a difference. My relationship to the Father and yours is different. So I'm going to my Father and your Father. I'm going to my God and your God. Not the same. He's not speaking of the same relationship between the two. He's saying there's a difference in my relationship and your relationship to the Father. But that's where I'm going so that she would understand. This is where I'm, I'm going to go. This is where I'm going. And Mary of Magdalene came and told the disciples what she had seen the Lord. And that, she had, that he had spoken these things to, to her. Now the other gospels tell us what they thought, right? Woohoo, woohoo. All the other gospels said they thought, well, that's a, that's, it's a craziness, craziness. Now, John, he's thinking, well, you know, I saw he's not there. The, the, the claws are, are still lying there. But, but you know, if he's, if he's been resurrected, he's not here anymore. How can you say that you've seen him or that he spoke to you? Why didn't he speak to me? You mean God spoke to a woman first? <laughs> I'm not even going to do the joke that goes with that. But. The point is, one of the cool things about this is the rabbinical teaching of that time was that the gospel message should never be trusted to a woman. And the first people that Jesus will present himself to were the women. (laughs) Sorry, fellas. But Jesus, now I might have to tell the joke after that. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'll, I'll refrain. I'll be good. So he's going <laughs> to... You come to me afterwards, I'll tell you. <clears throat> okay, then, so he, he presents it. Mary goes and he, she tells all the disciples, we know that the disciples weren't quite at that place where they believed, right? They're not quite at that place. John, he's, he's pretty sure what's going on, but everybody's not in the same place yet. And then that same day at evening... Now, what day was it again? First day of the week. First day of the week is Sunday. From this moment, John chapter 20 on, the church is always going to meet on the first day of the week. They didn't change the Sabbath. Sabbath is still Saturday. That has nothing to do with the day that the church comes together to meet. The first day of the week, Sunday. The Bible lays out for us that the Sabbath was given as a perpetual covenant to the nation of Israel. Perpetual meaning it would never run out. They were always to observe the Sabbath. But the epistles, as we study the New Testament, that commandment was never given again to the church. Why? Listen, in the Old Testament it says, you will work six days and then you will rest. But in the new covenant of Jesus Christ, first we rest in Him and then we work. First, we rest in Christ, and then what happens? Good works follow. He has become, the Scriptures declare, our Sabbath rest. 
He is that rest. We want to be found in him. And when we're in Christ, work will follow. If we try to get that switched around the other other way, work first and then Christ, that don't work. That's not the way. The way is to be found in Christ, that our rest is in him. And Paul would write to us in Romans chapter 14, hey, one guy says one day a week is, is better. Another guy says another day of the week is better. And yet the third guy says every day is the same. Paul says, let no one judge you according to new moons or Sabbaths or feasts, but let each one of you be fully convinced in his own mind. When should you worship God? Can you only worship God on one day? Can you only worship God on Saturday? Can you only worship God on Sunday? Can we worship God every day? That's the kind of relationship we want. And so that's what Paul's saying. Hey, it's not about the day. But from this moment, the church in in memory, in memorial, the the resurrection day is going to gather together on the first day. And listen, this is the first Sunday night church meeting. That's what you're reading. First Sunday night church meeting. Started way back then. On the same day of the evening, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The first Sunday night prayer meeting, Jesus came. He just appeared. They're all gathered together, afraid for fear of the Jews. The doors are locked. Jesus couldn't come in any other way. He's just going to appear in their midst. But what does he say to them? Do you hear the words? This is Jesus, guys, who was just abandoned, who was denied three times by Peter, who who said, hey, you strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. You're all going to run away. And his first words after the resurrection was peace. Peace to you. Remember, didn't Jesus tell him, my peace be unto you? Not as the world gives, give I unto you. But the peace that I give passes all understanding. The first thing he wants his kids to know, be at peace. It's okay. It's okay. Peace be with you. And so as he comes in, peace to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He doesn't say to him, you know, you guys didn't do so good the last time. So here's a list of things you need to do first. No. He said, as the Father sent me, I send you. That's the same word he speaks to all of us still today. As the Father sent me, I send you. We are his hands and feet, right? We are the ones to go forward and do the work that God is calling. So he sends them out. And when he had said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20, the... Disciples who are present at this moment are all saved. It's official. What's what's the seal of salvation? Paul tells us the seal, the guarantee of salvation is the Holy Spirit. Folks, when God came to that first man, 
molded on the ground out of clay. And he stooped down and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What happened? The Bible says he became a living being. Do you really think if God breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, that it didn't happen? Oh, it happened. They received the Holy Spirit. Folks, when we study the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit happen in, in, in three Greek prepositions. First, the Holy Spirit works alongside, draws us to the Lord, right? When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He comes in. Period. The Holy Spirit is in us. But there's a third one. See, Jesus says to those same disciples, now, you're going to go to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Epi. Until the Holy Spirit literally overflows you. He's in you, but when He is empowering you for service, He's just going to pour over you. It's going to outpour and affect the folks around you. And in Acts chapter 2, that's what we see. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples. And from that point forward, the power of the Spirit equips God's people to go. Just like Jesus is saying to them. I'm sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. They're saved. Their faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. They're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 23, So if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Once again, this is a a time when it comes in handy to have a little bit of an understanding of the Greek. What he's saying is you are now able to proclaim what has already happened. When someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are their sins forgiven? Yes. And so Jesus says, tell them. Your sins have been forgiven. It's already taken place. Not that man has the power to forgive sins, but he has the power to proclaim what has already taken place. What if you're witnessing to someone and they say, ah, this is not for me, I'm not, I, I don't believe you. Then you can say, your sins are forgiven. He says you can proclaim that which is already taking place. And he calls his people to do that. You need to know it's not okay. If it's not okay, it's not okay. If it is, hey, you've been forgiven to proclaim those things. But God's people would go forward and do that work. But listen, look at verse 24. All these exciting things are happening, but what? Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, he missed the meeting. You ever missed, you ever missed church? Yeah, me too. Ah, it even happens to me. Sometimes we miss church, and when we miss church, what happens? Man, when the Holy Spirit comes and He moves through the Word, we miss that opportunity. We miss that blessing. In fact, just this Saturday, the, the men's breakfast was this Saturday, and we were here Friday night, we're working, getting everything ready, and I'm even thinking in my head, men's breakfast tomorrow morning. I don't know if this ever happens to you guys. But I go home, and I put it in my phone, men's breakfast That means my phone will go that I'm supposed to be somewhere. And I set that down next to my bed and I went to sleep and forgot everything. In the morning, I got up, 
I started trucking around, doing whatever. Next thing I know, my, my phone's sitting in there. It's probably been going off, but I'm not next to the phone, so it doesn't help if you have an alarm set. <laughs> next thing I know, I look at my phone, and I'm thinking, 9.45, man, it's so cool to have one of these mornings where you just don't got to be any... Oh, it's a men's breakfast. I totally missed a men's breakfast. What, what did I lose in that? Besides a killer meal, I get to miss George share his testimony. I miss the movement of the Holy Spirit through the body of men. I'm the one who lost because I missed the meeting. Well, this is what happens with Thomas. He's supposed to be with the other disciples. But here's a, here's a little neat introspective into who Thomas was. Thomas called Didymus, the twin. Why was he called the twin? There wasn't like a, a Thomas and a Flamus. Or, you notice how, you know how people always name twins the same? I don't know what rhymes with Thomas. So Apparently you guys can't think of anything either. So I did okay. But there's not another twin running around with the crew. So what's going on? A lot of people think they called Thomas the twin because he looked so much like Jesus. So they just called him the twin. Oh, that's the Thomas that looks like Jesus. He looks like him. Well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But here's what we know about Thomas. Thomas always spoke his mind. Even if everybody else was saying, yes, Lord, we get it. Thomas would go, uh, no, we don't. You remember when Jesus said, I'm going away and the way, the, the place where I'm going and the way I'm going, you know. And, and, of course, all the disciples were going, oh, yes, we're so spiritual, Lord. We know. What did Thomas say? Uh, no, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. If he hadn't said that, we would have never heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But Thomas, he speak his mind. Another time when Jesus told the disciples, hey, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. We need to go back to that place because my buddy Lazarus, he's... He's dead. And they said, Jesus, you can't go back. Last time you went, they wanted to kill you. Jesus said, nevertheless, we're going back. You remember what Thomas said? Thomas said, hey, let's go die with him. Let's go die with him. So they went. Well, there are those who believe the reason Thomas wasn't at the meeting, if he was a twin and he looked like Jesus, he might have been walking around in Jerusalem looking for trouble. Walking around like, what you going to do? Here I am. My name's Thomas. You ever heard of me? Well, here's why some people think that. Do you know that Thomas was so on fire for the Lord after he receives the Holy Spirit that the only thing that stopped him was a belly full of spears in India. It's the only way they could stop him from proclaiming Jesus, wherever he went. Whatever the case, he wasn't there, and he should have been. He should have been there. He should have been a part of what was going on. But look what happened. The other disciples, therefore, try to tell him, Hey, here's what happened. Here's what you missed. We saw the Lord, and he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. At this moment, guys, Thomas not saved. 
He's not saved. He walked with Jesus for three years, and maybe he put all his hope in him, and he thought, truly, there's something special about this guy. But when he died, Thomas was like, I'm never hoping in anything else again. He doesn't say, I can't believe. He says, I will not. I'm not trusting. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be let down again. I'm not going to feel like like things have been lost again. I will not believe. He's like one of those people that you go and you share the word to. Maybe they're a skeptic and you might say to them, Hey, well, if I'm able to share something with you that will make you believe or make you at least think, Hey, there's some truth behind what he's saying. Will you believe? Oh, you won't be able to do that. No, no. I mean, what if I can? Will you believe? Sometimes the answer is no. And the Bible says, Then answer not a fool according to his folly, lest he seem wise in his own mind. What's the Bible say? Hey, if he will not, you're wasting breath. You're wasting, that's what Thomas says. I will not believe, man. I got to see it. I got to put my hand in the finger, or my finger in his hand, and, and my hand in his side. I, I, got to, I got to be able to touch. I won't believe. He's not going to believe what they say. Well, the Bible goes on. Now, after eight days, so we come back around to the first day of the week again, Sunday again. Eight days, they were again inside. Now, this time, Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Again, peace to you. Peace. But look at the next thing he said. He looked at Thomas and said, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. What did Jesus just say to Thomas? Thomas, I heard you. Was Jesus there? The Bible says, where two or three are gathered, there he is in our midst. There's nothing that passes out our lips that Jesus didn't hear, that he doesn't know about. There Thomas is, the tough guy. I'm not believing unless I put my finger in his hand or I put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe. But when Jesus is standing before him, you don't see any of that anymore. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, I heard you. Here, there's my hand. Here's my side. Believe. And Thomas gives one of the greatest proclamations of deity in all the scripture. He falls to his knees before Jesus Christ and he says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus receives worship from Thomas. Well, there are some people who look at that and they'll say, Well, come on, you know, he's just making an exclamation. Then they turn it into a curse. He's just cursing. Oh, my God. Well, if he was doing that, do you think Jesus would have had something to say about that? Hey, Thomas, bro, that's not cool. But what did he say? No, he was, he was proclaiming worship to Jesus. And Jesus receives that worship. My Lord and my God, he says. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. Jesus looking down into the future. It's us. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I love to see Jesus. 
And I'm looking more forward to that than anything else I've ever looked forward to in my life. I know that anything in my imagination, any picture, anything I ever saw, is going to fall far short of that moment in glory that each believer, not just a specific few, that each believer will spend face to face with Jesus Christ. With him looking into your eyes, throwing his arms around you and welcoming you home. Everyone. Everyone's going to see that, going to feel that, going to know that. How? He's God. He's not bound like he was anymore. Jesus walks through walls now, doesn't he? He appears in their midst. He eats with them. He's able to do all the things of God because indeed he is God. And so he's going to stand before us, throw his arms around us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. What I don't want to hear is, I never thought you were going to make it, Jackie. I had to pray really hard for you. That's not what I want to hear. I want to hear, well done. Well done. You finished your race. And John, as he concludes this this chapter, he says, Now truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. That we have life in him. Life in his name. What's his name? Yeshua. Jesus. God is salvation. That you would have life in his name. Hey, John could have told us a lot more other stuff, right? The other gospels have other stories, don't they? But John said, this is why I wrote this book. This is why I wrote the last gospel. The last gospel written. The other gospels were already in existence. But John said, you know what? I need to write one more. One more specifically that's going to point that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That He is deity. That's what he's saying. That He is Almighty God. And that by believing that, We will have life in his name. We have life in him. And what a a great opportunity for us today that that all comes together on Communion Sunday. An opportunity to remember Jesus Christ and know what he's done for us. To see in the table before us the implements of his body broken for us. Of his blood shed. That we might have forgiveness of sins that we might remember all that jesus has done for us for here in this place jesus wants to whisper to your heart your name and he wants to say peace to you peace he wants to say as my father sent me so i send you And he wants to say, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Be empowered for that very service for which I call. Well, as the worship team makes their way up and as we prepare for this opportunity to partake in communion, 
I want to to have you consider just for a moment as we talked a little bit already about that day so long ago on that road to Emmaus. As Jesus had opened up the Scripture, as He portrayed the truth of God's Word to these two disciples who, by the way, weren't where they were supposed to be. They were wandering around, kind of like Thomas. Jesus appeared to them and He opened up the Scripture for them. And as He opened up the Scripture for them, they invited Him in for supper. Remember Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open the door of his heart, I will come into him and sup with him. Well, Jesus came inside, and as they prepared to eat, he raised up the bread, and he broke it, and he was gone. And immediately, they knew who it was. They knew who it was because... He was giving them that symbol. Hey, all throughout the Old Testament, the Bible spoke of the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 22, throughout Exodus, Leviticus, it's all laid out for us. That sacrifice would come. And when it came, no more would people have to gather outside that high priest's Outside the temple, waiting for the high priest. Are we forgiven for another year? The book of Hebrews said, He died once for all. That we would experience eternal salvation in His single sacrifice. For He has become our great high priest. So, this morning, as we have an opportunity to remember all that Christ has done. And as we have an opportunity to worship, and while the implements are passed out, we would just ask that you would hold on to each one and we'll partake of them together. Amen?